Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Heels in the Courtroom. I'm Mary Simon, and I'm joined today by Liz Lenovey and Megan Crow. Today, we're going to be talking about effective communication. You know, as an attorney, especially being a plaintiff's attorney who works with families and individuals, we are in communication with people all day. And they're on all different sides of our cases. Sometimes we're communicating with a judge. Sometimes we're communicating with opposing counsel. And other times we are communicating with individuals who know nothing about the law or our legal system. And one of the things that I believe makes a really great trial attorney or attorney in general is just being able to communicate with others. If you are able to sit down with anybody, no matter their walk of life, whatever their background is, and communicate in a way where they understand what you are saying and you understand what they're saying, I think you're going to be set up for success, whether you're an attorney or in any other profession. The first tip that kind of came to my mind was have a goal in mind. I don't even remember the last time I ever had a phone call or sent an email or spoke to a judge or any lawyer on no matter the side of the case where I didn't have a plan ahead of time of what my goal was or what I wanted the outcome to be of that conversation. If you pick up the phone and call another lawyer before thinking about what you want to tell them, it's really hard to get through that call because you might end up talking in circles or not really talking about the thing you want to be talking about. So first and foremost, have a plan as to how you want to reach a goal that you have in that conversation. And one example of how this can really serve you well when communicating with others is if your client has called you, this happens all the time with me, a client will call, leave a voicemail with a ton of questions that they're asking. Most often, clients will call with issues that they have that have nothing to do with the case. But now that they have an attorney, you know, any question that they have that might even potentially dip into the legal realm, they're going to pick up the phone and call me. And, you know, that's what we want, but we have to be prepared for that. But if you already have an idea of what their question is going to be, that client is going to be way happier and it's going to be a much more effective and productive use of your time if you have a plan of what you already want to tell them before you pick up the phone. So listen to their concern and call and be prepared with answers to give them some guidance so it's actually fruitful. You're not just going in circles. And that's really just one that I can think of that happens almost daily with clients. The second, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, is being direct. You know, everybody has heard the saying before, say what you mean and mean what you say. I actually think an attorney in our office has that on his desk, if I'm not mistaken. It's difficult, but the more direct you can be, the more productive the conversation is going to be. Notice I didn't say anything about tone or delivery. That's a whole other skill set, right? But if you say what you actually mean and you say it directly, it's going to make the person you're talking to not have to guess what you're asking for or what your objective is. I'm sure, Liz and Megan, both of you might be thinking of stories where this has gone incredibly well 
or it has just completely tanked. I know that all the listeners can probably think of an example where they thought they were totally clear. I've had that happen before. And the communication just totally broke down. And I'm curious how you've handled one of those situations. Two things came to mind while you were talking. We talked about basically two points of effective communication. One is having a goal and two is being direct. Definitely had some stories come to my mind about when both of those things were definitely needed. The first one, when it comes to having a goal, I find this to be incredibly important when it comes to prepping clients for deposition. When I first started my practice, I was doing a lot of kind of smaller auto cases. Not a ton of prep has to go into those client depositions, but they're still important and it's still important to have a really effective prep session with them before their deposition. And the first couple of times I did it, I had in my head the things I knew I needed to talk about, and I just kind of rambled on. And then I realized that probably wasn't very effective communication, just me sprouting off a list of like bullet point things that they should remember or keep in mind for their deposition. That probably went in one ear and out the other on the day of deposition. So, you know, as I kind of honed my practice, I came up with a much better, you know, system for it and really had an actual written outline of things I wanted to talk about, things I wanted their feedback on. And at the beginning of that prep session, the first thing I said was, these are my three goals of this phone call today. One is to answer your questions about this, this, and this. Two is to tell you what I think you're going to expect. And three is to tell you some pointers that I think you should keep in mind. And just laying it out there so simply of like, these are the goals of this conversation, I think was way more effective and helped them retain the information that they needed to retain better, gave them a heads up of what this phone call was going to be about. So they weren't just like, halfway through realizing that, oh, this is important. I need to be paying attention to this or taking notes. So I would say, in addition, Mary, to your point of having a goal, I would just add to that, maybe even if it makes sense in the situation to tell the person that you're speaking to, this is the goal of that conversation. The second one that you mentioned was being direct. And I think this is also sometimes tricky when it comes to dealing with clients, one situation that comes to my mind about this is sometimes, as you said, Mary, clients will come to you with things not really about their case that our office is handling, but just kind of some general things that they think a lawyer may need to talk about. And sometimes I think that we want to like point them in the right direction. But I think there's been situations where if you're not direct about this is not something that you know, I can handle, or this is not something that's right for our case. I think it's important to be direct about that so they don't have a misleading idea about what the scope of your representation is and things like that. So I think being direct is also really important when you're talking to clients about what you can answer for them. Because I think that if you're not direct, even though it might be hard to say because you really want to help them out, if you're not direct about that, it could be detrimental in the long run to them. So I've been taking notes on everything that you ladies have said so far. So I will start with Megan, you were telling us about how actually at the beginning of some conversations with clients or whoever you may be talking to, you know, these are the goals of my conversation. And I think that's great advice. And I, I do that with clients pretty much in every conversation, lengthy conversation I have with them. And that's from the beginning. On the initial potential new client phone call, I start with, 
hi, my name is Liz, and I'm calling you today to talk to you about your case. Um, what I want to accomplish with this phone call or with this conversation is one, I want to learn about what happened to you, what are the pertinent facts in your case. Two, I want to explain to you what a medical malpractice or what a motor vehicle collision or a products case or whatever, what that entails, what that means. And three, I want to answer any questions you may have. And I think that's especially important because a lot of times what I experience is that when clients come in, they want to just sort of unload a story on you. And a lot of times it's unnecessary detail. And so when I lay out those goals, I say, look, all of this, the reason I'm explaining this to you is because we only have so much time together. And I want to make sure we maximize that time. I want to make sure we get the most out of the time that I get the most out of this time and that you get the most out of this time. And so if I jump in, if I ask a question, if I redirect you, it's because I'm trying to maximize our time together. I'm not trying to be rude. And clients are very perceptive to that and very understanding of that. I do the same thing with a deposition prep. I explain, look, these are the goals. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I want you to be prepared. We're going to walk through the facts. I want you to feel comfortable and you know how this is going to go tomorrow or next week or whenever the deposition is. And again, I think it just puts the other person at ease because they know what they're supposed to get out of the conversation. Additionally, I do that with phone calls with experts. I think a lot of the time the experts that we talk to, they are incredibly smart people and they are incredibly learned, but they have a different background than us. And so they may not necessarily understand all of the goals that come with a conversation. So I'll start a conversation with an expert of, look, I want to know what your opinions are. I want to know how strongly you can say them. I want to know what you're relying on. And then I want any questions that I may have answered at the end of the conversation. And everyone's ready to go as soon as that happens. Additionally, I also do this in interviews with law clerks. I interview a lot of law clerks every year when we get a new batch of them. And I will try to start the conversation with look, this is my opportunity to talk to you, but this is also your opportunity to ask any questions of me. And I hope that at least by setting those specific goals up with my conversation partner, we are going to, again, make the most out of our time together and it's the most efficient use of our time. Again, I think it also puts people at ease. So that's number one. Number two on being direct. I agree with what you said and Mary, your say what you mean, mean what you say. And that made me specifically think about a client communication that I recently had when I was in trial. This particular client, she's very emotional. She's very nervous. She was kind of hard to get focused and to redirect. And we had to be incredibly direct with her. And explain, look, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to accomplish. We're going to set a goal with what we're trying to get through with your testimony at trial. And there was no hemming and hawing about it. It was incredibly direct. And the moment that we finally sort of put our foot down and said, this is what needs to happen. Do you understand that? She got so much better. And I think really she just needed someone in that moment to hold her hand a little bit, but be a little firm with her. And she did fine. She did a great job. And I really think that the conversation where we were very direct with her helped guide that. It's a very delicate balance between being sympathetic and being what we feel is kind and oftentimes respectful with the people we're working with, but also balancing that with making sure that we are still accomplishing whatever we need. Because a lot of times, I think, too, especially as women, if we are too direct, then we come off as harsh or aggressive or bitchy, and we don't want that. And we don't want to make people feel bad, especially if it's the client. We really don't want the client to feel bad because they've already been through so much. But there are times where 
again, you kind of got to have a come to Jesus moment and have that more direct conversation with them. And what I've experienced is that every time I am direct with a client, after I've built that rapport where I do show sympathy and empathy and I'm able to show them some kindness and be that shoulder to cry on, when it comes time to be direct, they are more responsive and it makes the case stronger because of it. What's interesting about this is that I don't think any of us as litigators have any problem whatsoever being direct with opposing counsel. That's never really something that I don't think I struggle with. If I'm advocating for my client, I don't feel bad or you know hesitant about being direct with opposing counsel at all. I think it's interesting that some hesitation maybe comes when talking with clients. Same. I have a hesitation when talking with clients. I also have a hesitation when talking with staff. And with my colleagues. And that's because I think with opposing counsel, we have a natural understanding that we're going to be a little bit more aggressive with each other. Not rude, not unprofessional, but a little bit more aggressive. And that's just, again, the nature of the job. We are ultimately representing our client. We are going to be advocates for our client. And sometimes that can mean maybe coming off a little bit more abrasive. But really, it's because it's, again, it's the best use of everyone's time. I would rather an opposing counsel be more direct with me than waste my time taking half an hour to get to something that he or she could have said in five minutes. So I have no problem with opposing counsel being more direct. It's with clients and then with staff internally because I have to work with these people every day. I like the people I work with. I want them to like me. And there are times, though, when maybe the work is not being done up to the caliber that we expect. I say this as someone who is also I'm sort of in a middle position where I'm learning from people older than me, but I'm also in charge of managing people below me. There are times where maybe I'm not meeting the expectations or someone below me is not meeting my expectations. And how do we approach that conversation? And how do we have that conversation so that we can both achieve our goal of meeting expectations and being direct and making sure that that goal is achieved, but also not hurting anyone's feelings? It's interesting, Liz and Megan, because the next two tips on my list after set a goal and be direct, both of you have said in your explanation for those because they're all kind of muddled for effective communication. And third on my list is pick the right time to communicate. I have had phone calls set. I don't care if it's with the court, with a client, with opposing counsel. If you get on the line and you think that the person on the other end of that line, it's not a good time for them or it's not a good time for you, I have right at the beginning, if I call a client and it sounds like there's a lot going on in the background, same with opposing counsel. If it sounds like something's going on, I will say, hi, I know we had the call set. You know, is now a good time? And sometimes the answer is no. And and that's okay. Because you don't want to waste your time, their time. You talked, Liz, about internal communications. I have communicated with attorneys at this office who are more tenured than I am. And I've tried to ask them a question and I know they want to help me. But I can also tell that they're in the middle of something or they're in between tasks or whatever. And I'll just stop and say, is now a good time? You don't have to. You don't have to address my question right now because it's not effective. The communication won't be fruitful. You won't meet your goal. You can't be direct, you know, or you're too direct <laughs> than what you want to be. <laughs> so picking the right time. And next on my list, be cognizant of body language and call things out in real time. And what I mean by that is if you are talking to a client or again, it really doesn't matter, the judge, another lawyer, if you're saying something to somebody 
and you look at them and the other person is either immediately shaking their head no, or they look very angry, or they're crying if it's a client, if it's something very emotional, or they look confused. I have learned to just call it for what it is and stop and say, when I just said that, you look concerned to me. Like, what did I just say that kind of pushed a button? Or if it's a judge and they're looking at me like they already have their mind made up, I'm going to stop and let them talk. I have found that to also help with effective communication because you're not hiding from it. And sure, it creates a little bit of vulnerability in the communication, but that's great because if I look at somebody and they look really angry at me and I say, well, hold on, I'm going to pause a second. It looks like something I said just kind of triggered something in you. What was that? And they say, oh, I'm good. I'm like, okay, we're not where we need to be in terms of trust with one another, whether it's another lawyer or somebody else. You know, I'm not going to just go, oh, okay, and pretend then we're both just lying to each other. That's not effective communication. So body language is huge, I think. And it's so funny. You guys have both already talked about this. But next on my list after body language is be empathetic and meet people where they're at. And I could see folks listening to this, depending on what side they are on the case, of not wanting to do that with their opposing counsel. But I find it really helpful for effective communication. I know whether I get on the phone with anybody, if it's another lawyer on the other side of the case, if I'm actually able to understand that they have a corporation as their client and they have billable hours and they're answering to somebody, you know, an insurance adjuster, whoever it is, having that understanding also helps me have effective communication for going back to number one, reaching my goal. I actually just had an experience that kind of combines the last two things that you just said, which is being empathetic and watching body language. I am helping to try a case next month, and this case has been pending for many years since before I even graduated law school. And due to all these things, it's now finally being tried. And it's a really hard emotional case. And we were meeting with the client and her mother yesterday or the day before and kind of going over trial strategy and some logistics of how it's going to be at the trial, talking about when she was going to be in the courtroom and what she was going to be seeing. And as we're kind of going over some trial strategy, we kind of noticed that the client's body language changed, kind of indicating that she was a little bit nervous about seeing this one part of the trial. And we stopped and we're like, you look a little bit concerned about that. Like, let's talk about that. And we actually were able to get her perspective. And if we didn't do that, then we wouldn't have been able to keep talking about it and talk about other strategies and actually come to a solution that worked for everybody that we thought was the best you know, strategy yet. And so implementing both of those things, watching for body language and having empathy and understanding where the other person's coming into the conversation ended up being super beneficial. One time I was in a room with a client and one of my client's family members, and I asked something about, you know, how something happened in the case. And my client's family member starts explaining it. And my client's vehemently shaking her head like, no, 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 no. Like, that's all wrong. And was very angry. And they had two completely different ideas of how this particular situation played out. And I just had to pause and say, okay, hold on one second. You seem very angry with the way that the story is playing out. You know, that's not how it happened. And I was able to kind of diffuse that. And you have to be able to do that, especially in our profession. You have to be able to know how to take the heat out of those moments and get to really what 
is going on to learn. Because if you're not learning what happened from your own client, you know, you're definitely not going to set yourself up for success down the line. And likewise, I've had a phone call with opposing counsel where to Liz, your point, we're very direct with one another. Both of us understand time is precious and you need to move forward in your conversations. I can think of one attorney who I have cases with him. I've had several. And when we get to kind of that impasse of I'm saying what I want and he's saying no or vice versa, he'll say something like, well, you know, Mary, you just got to understand, like I'm reporting back to so-and-so and I'll say, completely understand this is not going to get done today, but I've got a client and I'm never going to agree to what it might be. But it's, I understand where he's coming from. He understands where I'm coming from. We don't end the phone call in a screaming match, but we might not come to an agreement at that time. But it's acknowledging where another person might be at. Because I just feel like if you're not doing those, I don't even want to call it a check-in, but if you're not cognizant of that, of where the other person is in the conversation, it's not going to be as beneficial to you as it could be. I'll put it that way. And, you know, last but not least is listening. And I know that we've had another episode where we talked about how to be a good listener, but effective communication obviously includes listening. If you are trying to reach your goal and you're not listening to what the other person is saying, There's no way that you're going to make steps towards achieving your goal. And I just think that people know whether you're paying attention to them or not. I think jurors know that. I think opposing counsel knows that. I think clients know that. Don't insult the person you are communicating with by not listening to them. I think you always need to give people more credit than what you might think they need. You know, I don't care if they're running their own company or they're a CEO or, you know, they just graduated from high school. It doesn't matter. You need to make sure that you're listening to what the person is saying who you're communicating with because communication is going to break down very quickly. We've all been in conversations with individuals where we felt as if that person's not listening to us and we lose trust. We don't want to continue in the conversation. We don't listen to what they say. And at that point, you know, you might as well not be communicating with them. And a running theme throughout all of this I didn't even put it on this list because it's so, you know, patently obvious, especially in what we do, but just stay honest. Just stay honest in all your communications. It goes with being direct. The more honest you are with someone else, the more honest they can be with you. There has never been a time where being honest will ever harm you. You know, you just need to stay steady, stay honest and truthful and your communications with others. And it'll really benefit you both in your personal life and your professional life. So I have been actively listening, taking notes and a couple of things that I just wanted to comment on. You know, Mary, when you talked about tip number five, being empathetic and recognizing that your opposing counsel has a purpose, recognizing that you have a purpose. And I wrote down, you can disagree without being disagreeable. And I have had this conversation so many times with opposing counsel where I state my case, they state their case, and then we come to an impasse and I say, look, you're not going to convince me of anything. I'm not going to convince you of anything. Let's maybe find the third party who's typically the judge and they can tell us what to do. But we have reached an impasse. This is not worth your time, your energy or my time and my energy. Let's move on. And I think that's a big 
skill in effective communication is knowing when to tap out. But again, you can disagree without being disagreeable. And then number three, picking the right time to communicate. I wrote after you talked about tip number three, Amy Gunn's mantra of responding, not reacting. Because when I think about when is the right time to communicate, sometimes the right time to communicate can be a little while after the communication has happened. And again, it goes back to knowing when to tap out. And it made me think of a particular story. And this is actually advice I got from Erica. There was an incident several months ago where I was really unhappy with some of the work product I had gotten from a few individuals in the office. And it was pretty sloppy. And I was ready to fire off a pretty aggressive email basically talking about, you know, what are expectations and basically what is good work ethic and what is good work product because this was not good work product. And I mean, I was hot under the collar when I got this particular project back. And I talked to Erica about it and Erica was like, no, 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 don't do that. Let's think about how we can take this negative and communicate it in a positive way. And her advice to me was, you know, why don't you make a presentation on how to do it the right way? They clearly don't know what they're doing. So why don't you make a presentation out of it and then you can effectively communicate how to do it better in the future? And I sat on it overnight and I thought about it and I was like, God, she's right. When she's right, she's right. And that's what I did. And I did a presentation on it. And sure enough, the next time this similar assignment came around, it was done better. And so when you talked about tip number three, pick the right time to communicate, that exact moment where I wanted to fire off that email, that was not the right time to communicate. I needed to give myself some space, allow myself some time to process and have a clearer perspective on it. And also have an opportunity to talk with a colleague who was coming at it from a different perspective than me. And I think because of that, it was handled much better. It was a bunch more fruitful form of communication. And you were also being direct about, you know, your expectations for the actual substance of the product. I mean, just saying this was bad isn't really direct about your expectations for what it should look like. I know I've had this experience, not to that extent, but an experience where I was guilty for not being direct because I got some work product back that wasn't really meeting my expectations. And instead of communicating what those expectations were, I was just like, we here use this example for next time. And yeah, it was an example of how I wanted it, but I wasn't being direct about what parts of that I wanted. It was me trying to soften the blow maybe of some criticism I had by saying, no, it's okay. Just use this one as an example next time. But the next time it came back again, it wasn't the parts that I was expecting them to change. And then finally, when I, you know, kindly, but directly said, it's actually this, this, and this, and this is how it should be. That, even though it may feel uncomfortable, again, we've had episodes about conflict, it may feel uncomfortable, but being direct is always going to be the better answer for the future. And they're not going to be upset by that. They're going to take it as a learning moment. And that goes to phrasing. Right. Everything is about your phrasing, your tone, picking the right moment. We've talked about this on previous episodes, the importance of trying to frame it not as a criticism, but as a learning opportunity. And that's what I do with my clerks when I get something back where maybe it did not meet my expectations. Okay, this happened. I got this. It wasn't great. Let's sit down. Let's talk about how we can make it better. And that still happens with me now. It's not just what I do for other people. It's what other people do for me. And I'm thinking of a trial I was in recently where I was crossing an expert and it went off the rails. Y'all, it was bad. Like, I did not feel good after it. And Amy pulled me aside and said, OK, here's how we're going to regroup. Here's how we're going to do better for next time. 
And sure enough, I crossed the subsequent expert the following day and it went so much better. It went so much better because in that moment, instead of Amy, you know, tearing me a new one, which I'm sure other attorneys, more senior attorneys would have done in, in other offices, she took that as an opportunity to effectively communicate with me and take a criticism and make it a learning opportunity. In a direct way. It kind of reminds me of the memes from The Notebook with Ryan Gosling when he's saying, what do you want? (laughs) That's what it reminds me of. Sometimes whether I'm working for another attorney or someone's working with or for me on something, it almost helps if you just look at the person you're working for and go, just what do you want? Like Megan, to your point, when you're like, well, try to use this example, use this template next time. You know, I feel as if I were the law clerk in that position and you're saying that to me, I might just go, what do you want? What is your preference? This and that would be totally valid. <laughs> I, totally. Exactly. And it's just crazy because you'd appreciate it. Right. And you're trying to communicate in like a really kind way. But there might even be a more direct way to say it. That's just like, I received this to Liz's point. It didn't meet my expectations for what it could have been. Let's discuss it. And next time, please do this. Versus try maybe this the next time you do it. So for all of these things that we've talked about, it's not that I came up with this list because I'm thinking of all the ways that I have done a great job of communicating. I came up with the list because of how many times there's been failed communication in my practice. And I thought to myself, I don't want this to happen again. At what point did it break down and how can I pick it back up? And oftentimes just being more direct from the outset fixes that. The only thing I forgot to mention when, Megan, you indicated telling the person you're talking to what your goals are, I continuously find myself using this phrasing, especially with clients, whether it's another attorney I've done research for or a client, if it's something that I feel like I've spent a lot of time on and I have my thoughts gathered, but the other person doesn't, I will present it to them in a way of talking about it visually for me, it helps. I just say it's buckets. Like I'll say to a client, there's a couple different buckets of information that I want to tell you about. One has to do with how a lawsuit moves forward. The other one has to do with your deposition. And the other one's going to be questions you have for me right now. And for some reason that helps me, I don't know if that means I'm more of like a visual learner, but even if you're reporting up to somebody, I could categorize like, okay, so I figured out that there's basically three areas that I looked into and divide them up that way. It sets kind of a avenue or a framework to be direct, but you're able to tell the person what your goals are, what you want to talk about, and then you're able to finish your thought so the other person can give feedback and you can listen and do you know the rest of the things that we had talked about today. I totally agree with the buckets of information. My brain, I don't think I'm as visual of a learner. I learn very much by an outline format, such as you would have in law school. I think I was successful in law school because that method of learning by outline is really effective for me. And so I think when I'm explaining things, in my brain, I do IRAC almost. Everyone carries that over from law school to a little extent. I think, okay, I'm going to say the issue first, and then I'm going to say my basis. I'm going to tell you what I think about it, and then I'm going to restate what you know the conclusion is for this topic, and then I'm going to do that again for this topic. And it's similar to buckets. It's just 
I think instead of thinking horizontally, I think vertically about <laughs> totally, it. <laughs> totally. I'm even picturing that because I guess I am a visual learner. I am picturing it how you're saying it. Yes, it makes sense. <laughs> but I totally agree with that. And I've really just found that all of the tips that we've talked about today get me and my client to where I want to be and where I want to get them. And at the end of the day, that's what we're all trying to do. We're all trying, no matter if you're listening to this and you're on the other side of cases, no matter what your profession is, you're trying to move forward and advance your goals. And the last thing you want to do is not be effective in your communication because it's only going to set you back. And with that, I know this has been a lengthy discussion, but just a quick Spark Notes version of what you can take away from our discussion. The next time you want to have the most effective communication, set a goal, be direct, pick the right time, pay attention to body language, show some empathy, listen, and always, always be honest. Please remember that if you have any questions or comments or want to reach out to us, you can reach us at comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law and new episodes drop on Wednesdays. Talk to you next time. Bye. Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, and Megan would love to hear from you. Send your thoughts to comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law and subscribe today 